0: Turn with me to Genesis. We'll continue. Um, for, I think next week we'll look start, start our Advent series going back in Genesis actually to see Christmas in Genesis. So, uh, it's a bit of a bold task, but Christmas in Genesis. And uh, we'll re- pray before we read Genesis 26. So, if you have to find your way to Genesis 26, we'll read the chapter together, Genesis 26. I'll pray before we read. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you that it's living and it's operative. And every word, every part of your word comes through your hand. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd enable me to speak well of the gospel of grace and of the Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. So Genesis 26 is entitled, God's Promise to Isaac, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerah, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. And will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And then in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Girah, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he'd been there a long time, Abimelech king of the Philistines looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife, So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How could you say, she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham's father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarrelled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Ezek, because they contended with him, And they dug another well and they quarrelled over that also. So he called the name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, "'For now the Lord has made room for us, "'and we shall be fruitful in the land.' From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, "'I am the God of Abraham your father, fear not, "'for I am with you and I will bless you "'and multiply your offspring for my servants Abraham's sake.' So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servant dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerah with Ahuzah, Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, knowing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, "'between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, "'that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, "'and have done to you nothing but good, "'and have sent you away in peace. "'You are now the blessed of the Lord.' "'So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank, "'and in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. "'And Isaac sent them on their way, "'and they departed from him in peace. "'That same day Isaac's servants came "'and told him about the well.' that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. This seems quite a strange chapter as we have come across another strange chapter in Genesis it seems like some disjointed stories doesn't it about water rights and then wells that have been filled up and then dug again and then peace treaties and the third time we get this wife is my sister thing going on and it seems like it's one of those chapters in Genesis that looks like a whole lot of nothing until we understand what is going on and what to look for The first thing to help us is that this chapter is possibly and probably out of chronological order. And I don't mean out of order in that there was any mistake, but sometimes in narrative texts in the Bible, the author deliberately, inspired by the Holy Spirit, puts things in a different chronological order in order to serve the larger thematic purpose. So this is a chapter that I would say is probably out of chronological order. Because if you remember some of the dates, Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah and then it took 20 years to have children, so he was 60 then. And if you look at chapter 27, Esau is 40 years old and Isaac is frail, 100. But here in 26, Isaac is anything but frail. He's laughing with his wife in some kind of suspicious way. He's unearthing worlds, he is... A powerful leader. He's enacting treaties with the king. So he's anything but an old man here. And there's no mention of his children until the very end. And it would be very obvious, wouldn't it? You know, this wife is your sister kind of thing going on. It would be obvious if if they had children with them. So it seems like this before they had children. Because if you argue that the children were grown by then, that puts Isaac in his 80s and 90s. Again, that's probably not the man of vigour and action we see here. So many of the commentaries conclude that this chapter is not necessarily in chronological order. So what, what's the point? Why is it here? This is the only chapter that we have that's about Isaac. It's the only chapter that we actually have that is about Isaac. We've had many promises about Isaac's birth. We had his birth itself in Genesis 21. And in Genesis 22, we had the near sacrifice of Isaac. The focus is on Abraham. Chapter 24 was about finding a wife for Isaac, but he was just in the background, waiting for the servant to bring Rebekah back. Chapter 25, is all about Esau and Jacob. Not really much about Isaac, there was more about Rebecca and the twins. But then we get to Genesis 27 and we see that Isaac is an old man, ready to pass on from the scene. And the centre activity for the rest of the book is going to be on Jacob and his sons. So Isaac, this is the only chapter in the book that is about Isaac. In between the selling of the birthright and the stealing of the blessing, we have one chapter about Isaac. So Moses, inspired by the Spirit of God, I think puts together a number of stories, compacts them together. So chapter 26, if you think about it, is the summary of the life of Isaac. Abraham has died. Isaac will not die for some time. One chapter about Isaac. So why are these events of everything in his long life singled out as Isaac's greatest hits? Why do these things come together in a summary of Isaac's life? Well, number one, we're meant to see like father, like son. And Genesis 26 is a deliberate attempt to show that Isaac, for better or for worse, was a chip off the old block. He failed where Abraham failed. He succeeded where Abraham succeeded. And his life, Isaac's life, followed the same pattern as Abraham's life. And God wants us to see that Isaac received the same blessing, the same promises, the same protection as Abraham received. So far from thinking that this is a disjointed, random set of events that have just been plugged together because they have something to do with water rights, there is a unity of purpose in this chapter. And we can go back and forth, and we will do with some of the other passages, to see how Isaac's life parallels Abraham's life. So we've got, first of all, we have the scene one, and that's verses one to five. And if you like it, it's the promise. If you think of it like a scene, there's a promise. There's a famine in the land. And the same language is used in Genesis 12. There was a famine in the land. So from the beginning of this summary chapter of the life of Isaac, So it's where we learn about Isaac, chapter 26. The careful reader will say, he is like his father. This is Abraham 2.0. Abraham received a call to leave his homeland. And when we get to the life of Abraham, it starts with that same passage. There was a famine in the land. So this is a dead giveaway from the beginning that we're retelling the story of Isaac and we're meant to see it in parallel to the story of Abraham. And you've got these three sister-wife theories, stories. Is my mic playing up? Is is the other one off? Is that better? Okay. So these three sister-wife stories each serve a unique purpose. I thought we have a problem. Yeah, try i try that. These three sister-wife stories each serve a unique purpose, and this one is meant to be in parallel with the two other stories where Abraham tried to pass Sarah off as his sister. But there's a difference in verse two. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Abraham, as soon as there was a famine, said, I have to go to Egypt. I will leave the land that has been promised to me as I have to find food. Now the Lord says clearly, don't make the same mistake Abraham did. Stay here in the land. And what he receives, what Isaac receives from God is a promise of the same blessing. Verse 3, sojourn in the land and I will be with you and bless you. And then bookended at the end of verse 4, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So those same promises made to Abraham are now coming to Isaac. The nations will be blessed. Your descendants will be as the stars in the sky. And it repeats the promises that God gave to Abraham in chapter 12, chapter 15, And chapter 17. And three things God promised Abraham. Land, offspring, and I will be with you. And in chapter 26, we see the same three promises. Verse 3, I will be with you. To your offspring I will give all these lands. Verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. So the same three things that God promised Abraham... He is promising Isaac. And Abraham's obedience is mentioned in verse 5. Chiefly his obedience in being willing to sacrifice his own son. And it's the same language that will be later used in Deuteronomy 11. That Abraham has been depicted as one, even before the law is given, who is faithful to believe the promises of God to obey his word. So by implication, Isaac would be the same sort of patriarch as Abraham was. That's scene one. We're deliberately walking in the same tracks that Abraham walked. Same blessings, same famine, same promises. And then scene two, the the deception in verses six to 11. And what we have in the rest of the chapter of 26 is the kind of back and forth Sometimes tracking with the story in chapter 20 and sometimes with the story in chapter 12. And Remember, these are the two times in chapter 12 and chapter 20 where Abraham lied about Sarah and said, she is my sister because he was afraid that she was too good looking. Which is a very old woman is encouraging. She was good looking and Abraham was going to be in trouble. But this part in verses 6 to 11 is in comparison with chapter 20. See where Abraham was at the beginning of Genesis 20. 20 verse 1. From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and Sojourn in Gerah. And Genesis 26, Isaac settled in Gerah. So we're meant to see that this is the same kind of story that Abraham lived Abraham called his wife Sarah, his sister, and so does Isaac. Abraham could have at least pretended it was half true because she was somehow related to him as a half-sister, but Isaac just plainly lies about Rebekah. Now there's a difference. She doesn't actually get put into the harem of the king. She's in danger in the same way. But, and Abimelech finds this out. Look at verse 8, rather than by some kind of divine revelation that happens in the Abraham stories, here Abimelech's just looking out of his window. And this is, there was an Abimelech in chapter 20 and 26, and as we saw, this is a title rather than a name. And the commander of the army, Phicol, is another name as opposed, you know, a title as opposed to a name. So they're probably not the same individuals, but people who hold a similar office. And if you see, Abimelech looks out of the window and sees Isaac laughing with Rebekah. And Isaac's name means laughter, and it's a word that has a broad range of meaning. Some commentators think it should be translated flirting. But whatever it is, it is such a position that Abimelech looks out of the window and whatever Isaac and Rebekah were laughing about or how they were laughing he could say, There's no way that your brother and sister, I've been lied to. And sure enough, he had been lied to. And Abraham in Genesis 20 is found out and rebuked by Abimelech. And in chapter 26, Isaac is rebuked by the Philistine king, Abimelech. So, the same story where Abraham lied about Sarah, the king finds out and says, What have you done? So Abraham does the same thing as rebuked by another Abimelech. So that's scene two. Scene three, prosperity and conflict, 12 through 22. When Abraham went down to Egypt, he lied and despite that he was blessed. He became very rich. In chapter 20, he received many sheep and oxen and servants. And Abimelech gave him. He prospers. What happened to Isaac? Verse 12, Isaac sowed and reaped a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And this is quite unique because the other patriarchs are keepers of animals. But he is clearly an arable farmer. He worked the ground. Showed probably that these are desperate times. But he sowed and reaped a hundredfold. A remarkable harvest. Where do we start off? There is a famine in the land. The Lord blessed Isaac and it's the same story i you know abraham lied he got blessed because god is in charge isaac lies and gets blessed in the midst of a famine and this is where the stories between the wife sister stories go back and forth between chapter 20 with abimelech chapter 12 with pharaoh the first one when he lies to pharaoh he ends up becoming very wealthy he became wealthy what happens because of the wealth he receives. Genesis 13, Abraham was rich and he sojourned and Lot who went with Abraham also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land couldn't support both of them dwelling together and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. Abraham lies, he gets blessed and then there's something of a curse to the blessing and it led to conflict what happened in 26? The herdsmen of Gerah quarreled with the herdsman of Isaac. The same wording as chapter 13. So Isaac has great prosperity, great wealth. But because of it, there is quarreling, there is conflict. You go back to chapter 20, the Abraham Abimelech story. Isaac is born. Chapter 21, there's a treaty with Abimelech and Abraham and Phicol. And here, the remainder, the business of Beersheba, and there's something similar in the life of Isaac. Isaac departs, digs again the wells, which is among the most precious things. You have to have wells, you have to have water, and then there is conflict with who owns these. Now, part of the conflict is Isaac name in the wells. He's asserting ownership. He's asserting that he and his family are the owners of the well. So we have these three scenes. Now we have the fourth scene in worship, which is worship. What did Abraham do after he became rich? Genesis 13, he built an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. So after the ruse in Egypt, which led to great wealth, what does he do in response? He worships. What does Isaac do in chapter 26? He built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. And again we have the promise of blessing, which we've seen in verse 2 in chapter 12, and again here in verse 24. The Lord appeared to him in the same night, and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. And in scene 5, the Peace Treaty 26 to 33, in chapter 21, Abimelech and Phicol, Come to Abraham seeking a treaty because Abraham had become so powerful and he was very impressive in his own right. And Abimelech saw that the Lord was with him. And just as that Abimelech did in chapter 21, so this Abimelech does in chapter 26, he makes a covenant with the patriarch. And in verses 30 to 31, there is this covenant ceremony with a meal and an oath. And just as Abraham was hospitable when the kings came to him, so in verse 30, he made them a feast and they ate and drank. We read in chapter 21 that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. The treaty between Abraham and Abimelech ends by naming the place Beersheba. And here again in chapter 26, there is a treaty and Isaac names the place again Beersheba. Not because the biblical author confused things, but they dug the same well again. Isaac gave it the same name. So there's the back and forth to show that what we have in chapter 26 is coherent with one purpose that Isaac walked in the footsteps of Abraham, and he received the blessing that had been promised to Abraham. And when we trace out the rest of Genesis, where does the blessing go? What we have in 26 is he walked in, his foot, in Abraham's footsteps and received the same blessing that God promised to Abraham. So what, blessings, what lessons can we learn from these parallels? This chapter is meant to convey this relationship between Abraham and Isaac. How does this apply to us today? Well, number one, and I think this is really key, many of us enjoy God's blessings because of our parents' faithfulness. That was the case with Isaac. Abraham was often blessed despite himself, but overall Abraham is to be remembered as the man of faith. That's how Hebrews 11 depicts him. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Abraham left home. He dealt kindly with Lot. He defeated kings. He kept the covenant of circumcision. He prayed for those who did not deserve it. He was willing to sacrifice his only son. He bought a cave in the promised land. And because of all of that, through the Lord's blessing, Isaac inherited servants, animals, a great name and promises. Isaac enjoyed God's blessings because of the faithfulness of his father, his father and his mother. Now I really understand that many do not have good godly parents, but many do. By the Lord's grace, I did. And because they served the Lord and kept his commandments, we are inheritors of all sorts of blessings more importantly, spiritual blessings. But we realise that sadly, it is not all that normal. But we should be so thankful. I'm thankful for godly parents who showed me the things of the Lord. And if you have godly parents who tell you about Jesus, that is, the greatest, that is one of the greatest privileges there is. Our world talks a lot about privilege People have all sorts of different privileges. We don't have the same gifts, the same connections, the same advantages. But of all the privileges you can have, you know, are you privileged if your parents have a lot of money? Are you privileged if you have significant privilege in an earthly sense? Without a doubt. The most significant privilege of all is to be raised by a father and mother who love each other, teach you the Bible and take you to church. That is a tremendous privilege that you have parents who love each other. They teach you about Jesus and they take you to be with God's people. Now, praise God. We know he works through all sorts of different ways. Many have tremendous testimonies of God's grace. Many have grown up in less than ideal circumstances and God still works. We praise him for that. We give thanks for that. But as Christians, the greatest legacy we can give our children is that they would grow up in a world knowing that daddy and mummy love each other and they love me, they told me about Jesus, they read the Bible and they take me to church. So many of us had that privilege and there's no greater earthly privilege to pass on. And I think that we draw that from this chapter. Isaac enjoyed God's blessing because of his parents' faithfulness. Secondly, we don't need to make the same mistakes our parents made. Now, Isaac made some of the mistakes Abraham made, but not all of them. He didn't go down to Egypt. Now, it did kind of help that God said with a megaphone, Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. It kind of helped. But Isaac didn't. He didn't go down to Egypt. He didn't have more than one wife. Which is what a lot of the patriarchs did. And unlike Abraham, he didn't try to manipulate to have a child by some other means. Which is the path that Abraham took. Isaac and Rebekah didn't do that. And I think that's a lesson. It's important that the next, spiritual genera- that the next generation makes spiritual progress. You don't have to say, make the same mistakes that I made. I hope that whatever I can pass on to my children, that they could learn to love Jesus more than I did. The, the most important legacy you can pass on is a legacy of holiness. Isaac didn't have perfect parents. But I hope children would learn not only from the things that we have done right but from the things that we've done wrong and they would learn to follow Jesus even better than we did. You don't have to make the same mistakes your parents made. Number three, the life of faith is the life of blessing. This is not first of all about lessons of parents and children that we see these things. This is about, this is a lesson of faith. That the life of faith is the life of blessing. I'm thinking a lot today about Kevin, Kevin Roy, a dear friend. He's been promoted to glory. But he was a faithful man. He loved the Lord. The life of faith is the life of blessing. And he's enjoying his eternal blessing. If you go back to the very end of chapter 26, I didn't say anything about these last two verses. And you may wonder why they're there. Uh, Esau was 40, he took two wives and they made life bitter for his parents Isaac and Rebekah. It kind of is an afterthought seems maybe, but they form an important transition. Much is at stake in this promised blessing. And 26 shows us that the blessing of Abraham was operative in Isaac's life. So the question remains, I just asked it and didn't answer it earlier. Who gets the blessing next? Who inherits it from Isaac? And these verses remind us again it's not I, Esau. He deliberately embraced polygamy, he deliberately married outside the the promised line. Isaac was blessed and a source of blessings to others, and Esau is a source of bitterness. Isaac was a source of blessing. Esau was the source of bitterness. And this is a transition section contrasting the life of faith and the life of unbelief. Or you might say the Lord's way or the world's way. And then we get to see why the blessing in God's sovereignty goes to Jacob and not Esau. But what we're meant to see in 26 is that the lesson for us who seek to walk faithfully What God did for your parents as they walked in faith, he will do for the children as they walk in faith. Galatians 3 verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you've had that spiritual privilege, that legacy in your home, you meant not to just pass on the good fruit, but the faith. The obedience of the legacy. And that's why parents don't be afraid to let your children see hard times in your life. To see you say sorry, repent of things that you've done wrong. Because they will learn a lot from that. And they will see that God is faithful not only in the good times, but in the bad times. Now does, does this mean that we will all receive material wealth like Abraham and Isaac? No. But the life of faith we receive spiritual riches, which is much better. Does it mean that we surely have children? No. But you too can be a blessing to the nations. Does it mean that you'll get your own parcel of land on earth? No, but you'll inherit the heavens, which is far better. And best of all, when you walk in faith with God, you receive the best, surest, most eternal aspect of promise – and that is the presence of God himself. Do you see through this chapter the Emmanuel principle? We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel." Verse 3, sojourn in the land and I will be with you. Verse 24, the Lord appeared. I am the God of Abraham, fear not, for I am with you. And verse 28, even on the lips of Gentiles, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And my friend, that is the most foundational lesson of all. As Isaac walked in the steps of his father Abraham, he made mistakes. He committed sin. He needed forgiveness. But as he walked in faith and obedience, he knew that God would never leave him or forsake him. And as we do the same, we can rest assured that Emmanuel, God with us, who we know not just as a promise, but we know that the promised one came to earth will be with us for now and forever. I can't tell you how much that this life of faith exhilarates me, enthralls me, thrills me. The life of faith. And it's poignant today as we hear of those who have been gone home to glory. That is the blessing. Do you have a blessing, a hope that goes beyond this life? As we read more news, more press conferences, more gloom, more people running after gloom, there is hope. There is hope beyond this craziness. There is hope beyond this world. And that is the life of faith. Because Jesus died, raised, ascended. He sent the Spirit. And he's coming again, friends. He's coming again. And there's the glorious hope. Because he rose from the dead we too will rise from the dead may the lord bless the word for his glory Emmanuel, god with us amen